Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. It's Leanne Spencer, your host, and this is part two of the fascinating conversation I had with Dr. Kenneth Pelletier all about genetics and why we are not the puppets of our DNA. And in part two of this recording, we talk about how you can change your gene expression or create, if you like, an epigenetic map to optimize your gene expression for a lifetime of sustained wellness. We also talk about the links between blood markers and the microbiome, Ken's seven biochemical pathways, so inflammation being one of those, and what clues they give us to our overall wellness and how we can alter the gene expression that impacts those significant markers. And really interestingly, we talk about the biology of belief. And this is actually the title of another book by someone called Bruce Lipton, but it's mentioned in Ken's book. And the biology of belief talks about how we can affect our gene expression and therefore our health through positive and negative thinking. It's absolutely fascinating. So I really hope you enjoy part two of this episode. I love talking to Ken. I loved reading the book. Really urge you to go out and get that on Amazon. It's called Change Your Genes, Change Your Life. Enjoy part two of this episode. In the book, you've got a quote that I've written down here. It's about changing gene expression and using epigenetic maps. And the quote is optimizing gene expression for a lifetime of sustained wellness but it's actually a lifetime with your child and their child and their child and their child. (laughs) So it's not just your own life. You're kind of laying down a blueprint for for all the generations to come, aren't you? And they then are layering on almost like a palimpsest on their own blueprint on it. And on it goes. Fascinating stuff. It is. And actually, there's a company in the United States founded by American Indians called Seventh Generation. And their admonition to an action that a person takes in their life is that this is for seven generations to come. And it's an ecologically oriented company that makes you want to basically care for the environment because your actions now are carried over into the generation of the generation of the generation for seven generations to come. And that's the principle that you've just elaborated. And in fact, it is clearly very true. That's what we're beginning to realize. Just This is a, a bit of a side note, but Ancestry, which is a genetic testing company, as you know, actually worked with a group of researchers, I believe at the University of, uh, may have been even at Cambridge, but it was a UK university and Ancestry worked with them. And what they did is they took all of the records that Ancestry has from people that have requested their genetic predispositions from their genetic code, environmental codes, and they came up with 400 million lives a tree, a genetic tree of 400 million lives. Now, that's an unheard of number in research. Most research is hundreds of participants, maybe a thousand, but 400 million off the scale. Mm. And what they looked at was, did the age of the grandparent predict the age of the individual or did 10 lifestyle factors that they looked at, was that a more accurate predictor of how long the person actually would live? And what they found is that the genetics did not predict their life expectancy at all. It was virtually nil. Yet the lifestyle factors predicted almost 100%. This is a huge database telling us that the push toward 
actual life expectancy is much more determined by what we do rather than what our genes are that we inherit from the moment of birth. Wow. Well, I love that. That encapsulates everything I wanted to get from this podcast, really. Yeah, I think we can use genetic testing to perhaps give us a guide in some cases, but it's really what we do, how we live, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the way we move, it's the way we sleep, the way we recover, the way we connect, all of this kind of stuff is far, far more important. And that, for me, is the biggest takeaway from the whole conversation so far. Okay, fantastic. Let's talk about the seven biochemical pathways. We have touched on some of that. I know inflammation is one of them. Just, just talk a little around the seven biochemical pathways and how that's relevant, please. Yeah, this is kind of basic standard biochemistry, but what we're realizing is that there are in the body seven major biochemical pathways, and it's the way, and behind these biochemical pathways are a finite set of genes, probably 40 or 50, and that number will probably be diminished as our research gets better, but these genes influence that pathway. So as the gene becomes expressed or not, the pathway becomes activated or not, the change shows up in our blood chemistry, and the blood chemistry in turn shows up metabolically in the body organs and in the biome. So these are kind of the intermediary pathways, and there are seven of them. And one is methylation. Methylation is kind of like the punctuation for genetic code. It, it puts a sentence, a dot at the end of the sentence. It starts with a, a capital letter in the subsequent paragraph. So it's, it's how the genetic code is broken up into sentences. Inflammation is very just what it implies. And most people look and say, well, inflammation is the cause of heart disease, of arthritis, of irritable bowel. And yes, it is in its extreme form but it's not to be eliminated. So you don't want to have a suppressed inflammatory response because we have a minor cut. That little reddening around the cut is an inflammatory response that's positive. So it's, again, within a normal range, and that's the second. The third is oxidative stress. So every metabolic process in the body takes place in the presence of oxygen, and we can have adequate oxygen or we can have hyperoxidization, which is essentially too much rapid burning, if you will, of byproducts in the body. That results in toxic byproducts that need to be eliminated. What can cause that oxidative stress? Oh, it can be exposure to, for instance, positive ionization. So air pollution will produce a kind of excessive oxidative stress in an organism, in a cell, or in an organ. That's probably the leading cause of excessive oxidation. And the other are poor food quality, where the body is, the cells are constantly digesting and redigesting and churning, trying to digest essentially indigestible materials, petrochemicals, materials that really the body is not designed to use, break down, or in any way utilize. So that's where the excessive oxidation comes from. It's this kind of mm. burning and we're burning again of materials. Detoxification, again, the, the body's ability to rid itself of things that are not appropriate. And if we're consuming uh, high petrochemical agents, highly processed foods, my recommendation to every patient is when you go into a grocery store, buy the shortest label. No matter what the product is, if it has three ingredients, buy it. If it has 20, don't. It's very simple. Immunity, that's the fifth biochemical pathway, and it's simply how the body differentiates itself from non-self. So how does a virus differentiate itself from your body? How does a bacteria differentiate 
from your body. Now, hyperimmunity produces things like autoimmune diseases, and hypoimmunity produces susceptibility to colds, flus, cancers, etc. So you want an immune system that is stable. And again, all of the influences we're talking about stabilizes the immune system. Lipid metabolism is the sixth, and it's simply how we metabolize fat. And, you know, the admonition, eat a low-fat diet, is really not accurate. There are people who can consume fats, doesn't matter. They have a high lipid metabolism genetic predisposition. They can consume all the fats they want. It's not going to be harmful to them. Mm. I don't advocate that. But again, when we know what our biology is, what we know what our genetic predisposition is for lipid metabolism, we can make more informed decisions about our diets and mm. break through this barrage of keto versus low-carb, high-carb, low-fat, non-fat, celery diet, all the dietary nonsense. You really need to know, how do I metabolize lipids? The last one is mineral metabolism. So it's everything that's non-lipid that our body requires, copper, magnesium, all of the trace elements, all of the other materials that are insoluble fibers that our body needs for nutrition constitute the seventh pathway. And again, each of these seven pathways are governed by the genes that we can influence. So we can have a direct impact on keeping these pathways within normal ranges. We know what the normal values are. And when a person can test out for those, again, as you pointed out correctly, these tests are becoming much less expensive non-invasive. There are some new technologies in the next, oh, six months to nine months that are, going to, that are astounding in terms of ingestible nanotechnologies, in terms of painless blood draw devices that work on a vacuum on the surface of your skin rather than any needle prick. These are going to make all of these metabolic pathways much easier for us to detect and know how to influence. Mm. It's going to be a really interesting time. Okay, so some of those, inflammation, for example, is one I've been reading quite a bit about because I understand that it's in an inflamed gut, for example, is also been linked to autoimmune conditions. It's been linked to mental health issues such as depression. There's quite a big buzz now in, in our industry around inflammation and, and getting on top of an inflammatory situation. Interesting that you talk about that. There's something I really want to touch on. I want to make sure we've got time for this. And that's to use the, the title of another book, but it's The Biology of Belief. It's how positive and negative thoughts can influence gene expression. Can you talk more about that? There's a section in the book on it, but it's a fascinating area. I agree. To me, that's one of the most astounding areas of all. And The Biology of Belief, uh, the title of Bruce Lipton's book, and he's a cell biologist who, in fact, predates my discovery of these influences. And it's very clear that the positive emotions, and by positive emotions, that means hope, love, compassion, optimism, generosity, all of the traditional positive emotions have a direct, positive, and enduring impact on the epigenetic expression. So the positive, if you will, range of lipid metabolism, the positive range of detoxification, the positive range of inflammation, when those conditions are under laboratory circumstances brought into play through various you know, experimental manipulations, you find that the genome expression is improved. When you have the negative emotions, anger, fear, 
hostility, aggression, negativity, all of those suppress and alter these biochemical pathways in a negative direction. So you get greater inflammation, you get greater oxidative stress, you get poor lipid metabolism, you get excessive methylation. And we go back and forth. And the purpose, if you will, of meditation Hmm. is to enhance our ability to recognize the negative emotions and, in fact, to move toward the positive emotions, to change from a type 2 stress response, which is negative, destructive to ourselves, not necessarily to the person or the cause or the event outside of ourselves. You know, Gandhi had the expression, become the change you wish to see in the world. And that challenge for us, our challenge is from an internal state of awareness to strike a balance that's more optimistic, more positive, because the, ultimately it influences our own health, but also the health and well-being of our community, the people around us. So clearly the biology of belief and the biology of hope and the positive emotions, resilience is a brand new area of research, which is very powerful, that people who have highly traumatic childhood highly traumatic events in their lives from warfare, from concentration camps, can in fact rise above the occasion once they recognize the negative impact and begin to move in a positive direction. So all of this is highly malleable, all within our influence. Mm. It makes me think actually of um, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And I think that's got to be one of the best examples of the biology of belief. You know, he survived and that was not just due to his belief. It isn't so much that he survived, I suppose it's that he was able to retain his sanity and a certain degree of his health, certainly his mental health, by his belief and his response to his circumstances. Yes, I totally agree. Actually, a number of years ago, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Yeshi Dandan, who was the Dalai Lama's personal physician. And Yeshi Dandan had been in a Chinese concentration camp, isolation for 12 years, daily torture, starvation, deprivation of every conceivable kind. And yet he was the most benign, loving, compassionate, quiet, centered person I think I'd ever met in my life. (laughs) And when I was talking with him, I said, how did you do this? And he said that I I realized that there was a place inside of myself that was not reducible to anything mental, emotional, or physical. It was the deeply spiritual connection of part of myself that was unmaimed, unharmed. And I I lived in that place for 12 years. And now I can express that more fully. I thought that was an astounding statement coming from this man who should feel bitter, negative, angry. It was an iota of that in him. He had transformed all of that into a very, very benign circumstance. That's extraordinary. I'll have to read up on him. Ken, is there a part of your book in the last sort of seven minutes we've got that you'd like to talk about or highlight that I haven't mentioned? Well, yeah, thank you. There is one. You know, when you get to the end of a book, you always wonder, how am I going to complete this? (laughs) You know, what's the drum roll? What's the final? And as I got to the end of the book, I was really wondering that. And then a wonderful study came out of NASA, which I think is a fascinating, perfect study in epigenetics. Scott Kelly is the astronaut who spent the longest duration of space, nearly a year, an American astronaut. And he has a twin brother who's also an astronaut. And his, by the way, his twin brother is the one who's married to Gaffey Giffords, Mm. who was the member of the U.S. House of Representatives who was shot by an individual. So when Scott Kelly returned, 
NASA had his baseline genetics. They had the baseline genetics for his identical brother, and they had his genetics when he returned from his year in space. What they found was astounding. They found that 7% of his genetic expression had changed in one year. Now, I don't know if that sounds like a little or a lot, but consider the baseline. The baseline is that the genetic expression that separates us from the chimpanzees is less than 1%. So this person, this, <laughs> this astronaut, had 7% of his genetic expression change in a year because of weightlessness, because of food, environment, stress, etc. They now have followed up with him. I think he's been back to Earth for now six or seven months. There was a study a couple of weeks ago, they followed up with him, and they found that 4%, 3 to 4% of his genetic code has not changed back. About four, 3 to 4% of it changed back to its normal baseline. 3 to 4% did not. Now, we have no idea what that means. Is that good? Is that bad? What has changed? What does it mean? One of the genetic variables that changed, which they thought was fascinating, was the telomere. The telomere is a marker of how long we're going to live. And it's an X-shaped chromosome. And the length of each arm of the X and the tip of the X has like a little cap on it. It's like the cap on a shoelace. When that arm is long and when the tip is intact, it indicates a longer life expectancy. When he returned to Earth, his telomere had improved. The arms had extended. The caps had, in fact, become more integrated, more perfected. Now, that particular one did regress to the normal, did regress to his previous state, uh, unfortunately. But it does indicate that even a year in International Space Station had a profound impact on actually extending the potential for his life expectancy. And my takeaway from that in the book is that this is, to me, the best example I've ever seen of a controlled experiment of the influence of epigenetic factors on genetic expression mm -hmm. in a very, very short period of time in a very healthy individual. So it's kind of like the point final or the end of the sentence of how these influences occur in our daily lives. Yeah, beautifully summarized. Fantastic. What is the main takeaway you'd want people to take from this? I think it's a sense of optimism. You know, there are certain adult diseases that once they've progressed to the stage of a disease, they're hard to alter. We can slow the progression, sometimes even reverse the disease. But once it's in extreme onset in our 50s, 60s, 70s, it's very, very hard to alter it. So not all things are going to be malleable in the way that we've been discussing. However, having said that, we can have a profound impact, even if we have advanced disease, if there's advanced irritable bowel or heart disease or arthritic disorders or even cancer, we can, in fact, have a major influence on its progression, our life expectancy, the quality of our life independently of the state of the disease. The other is that the sooner we begin, I mean, there's no age at which this is impossible to undertake. A uh, 70-year-old person, 80-year-old person can undertake these changes. But even better, if someone in their 20 or 30s can do this genetic testing, understand their biology, their biochemistry, their epigenetic markers, and in fact track those and keep them within an optimal range, that's even better. And that becomes the basis for truly individualized medicine or personalized care. And that will result, to me, in optimal health and longevity, which 
I wish for literally everyone. Yeah, we've just changed our tagline to health span, not lifespan. Oh, I like yeah. <laughs> I actually like that better. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. I think personalize everything to the degree that you can. And if you're listening in and you can't afford a basic genetic test, don't worry about it because a lot of the advice that that we're giving is applicable to anyone, isn't it? It's move well, connect well, breathe fresh air, you know, do things for others, get a sense of contribution, feel good about that, get get a good production of healthy hormones. And a lot of this can be done without the testing, but if you can and the cost of this stuff's going to come down and down, then understand what you can so that you can personalize, if you like, a blueprint to allow you to prolong that health span. So, again, Dr. Pelletier, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. It's been fascinating. The book is brilliant. It's available on Amazon. Strongly suggest people jump out and get that. We'll put a link to it, but it's Change Your Genes, Change Your Life. I'm going to buy a few copies for for certain clients, people in my team, because I think it is well worth a read. So congratulations on the success of the book, and thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you for such an informed discussion. I appreciate it, and all the best. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test and at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39-page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.